Hi, I'm Deborah Hamilton. Welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? Ten years ago, with my iPhone and a script, I recorded the first episode of the Ultimate Pet Resolution Summit, which chatted with experts about conflicts over animals. Our conversations were intimate, honest, and illustrated how disagreements over animals occur and how those disagreements can reshape people's lives and relationships. In November 2019, I started Why Do Pets Matter, a new podcast that continued these informative discussions. I'm so excited to have you here with me, continuing my exploration into a more meaningful conversation about why pets matter to all of us. My guests and I will share ideas, stories, and experiences straight from the heart, unscripted and holistic. From the bravest moments to the most brokenhearted, we will explore how to resolve disagreements over animals differently. One thing I know for sure is I want to have more meaningful conversations that will help all of us unlock that deeply felt human-animal bond that drives the emotions of conflict. Today we're talking with Gary Friedman. He is my mentor and he's also the co-founder of the Center for Understanding. We talk about how mediation can help people who are in conflict over animals retain relationships going forward. Let's hear what he has to say. Hi, it's Deborah Hamilton, and I'm here with Gary Friedman, one of my dearest mentors. He is the co-founder of the Center for Understanding out in Northern California. I have to say that for total transparency, I am a student of the Center for Understanding as well as a member of the Board of Directors because I so believe in this process for the resolution of conflicts between people over animals that Gary had to be on. Um, he is also the subject of a fabulous new best-selling book by Amanda Ripley, and it's called High Conflict. He also has written two books of his own, Inside Out and Challenging Conflict. Mediation Through Understanding. And, mediation, then, and then? The first book I ever wrote was called The Guide to Divorce Mediation. I love that book. I have that one too. So everyone, I have all of these books. And Gary, we always ask our first question, which is, why do pets matter to you? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, you've hit uh, the most insane part of my being when you start talking about pets, because I'm completely devoted to um, our pet, Artie, a, a mutt, um, and uh, who was, you know, a rescue dog. And, uh, and uh, I, I not only love him so much that I... Uh, my grand, my my children, who have, or the parents of grandchildren, are very jealous of my relationship with Artie. Um, and uh, and during COVID, particularly this last year, it's been just my wife Trish and me and Artie. Yeah. Um, so we have been, and he's been so happy that we're home all the time. <laughs> he doesn't know uh, why, and he doesn't know that this may come to an end. But uh, he's. He's just such an incredible source of comfort, security, um, and we like to project on him wisdom <laughs> uh, uh, that he understands. Uh, he understands what what he's able to react emotionally uh, and, and pick up emotions um, that with, when we get caught up in words, um, we we don't are not so aware. But Artie always knows exactly what's happening and knows how to respond. And, and in my mediation practice, um, you know, Artie has often come uh, when we were live 
and been in the room um, unless people for some reason or another don't want him in the room. You know, it's so interesting you say that because in my conflicts when they were live, my mediations of conflicts over animals when they were live, my dogs were in the room as well. I didn't always bring the party's conflict in, animal into the room because that's usually the, the basis yes. of the conflict. Yeah. However, my dogs took the temperature down in the room sort of probably like Artie does. It just is that icebreaker. Exactly. No, there's a, there's a whole, there's, it's harder to kind of sustain high conflict when Artie's looking at you the way he, all the way he can look at you alone. Well, you know, many years ago, I took training with Gary and I walked up to him and said, you know, I'd like to apply this method of conflict resolution to people in conflict over animals. And Gary is solely responsible for the next 11 years of my life where that's all I've done. And I'd like you, Gary, to, to help the audience and the listeners understand about that conflict trap because the conflict trap is what is going to make the disagreement about animals so um, positional. Yes. Yeah, no, I think that, you know, it can be anything that people get into a fight about. Um, and when they get into a fight about whatever it is they're fighting about, uh, it, it often, sorry, uh, okay. uh, touches them in places uh, that, um, you know, really connect to their identities and, and their uh, the things that are really most important to them in their lives. And so having uh, and animals generate huge amounts of affection and attachment, um, just as our kids do, um, and in some ways easier because they're easier to handle mostly <laughs> than our kids. And they don't take sides. I often say to my, my uh, clients in conflict, unfortunately, your pet doesn't hate your ex. Well, the, the reality in my family, however, is our dog does take sides. He loves Trish. Way more than me. He's completely attached to her. And so we have me feed him uh, to try to create more attachment. But it's there. It's so strong in him. And it's so instinctual uh, that, um, yes, he's on her side. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. That's the same thing at my house, because I, of course, raise Irish setters and have a number of them. And my okay. husband will say that they don't even pay attention to him when I'm not home. Yet yeah. when Trish leaves and when I leave, I'm sure Artie is your best oh, yeah. friend. We have we have our little love fest when she's gone. Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, they are very opportunistic about love the one you're with. That's right. Right. That's right. So here we are. We're in the middle of covid. Everyone has gotten animals. Some relationships have broken up. And in my practice, the ability to have a conversation about sharing pets once a relationship breaks up is almost impossible. It's it's sort of like I must take this animal with me and it would be better off with me. How do you suggest for the audience listening? How do you start that conversation in a way that keeps the ben the the benefits and the um, best interests of the pet top of mind? Because that's not what the court does. It's property. So the court's going to award it to one or the other. But yeah. if you use mediation, you can often have a way to share the pet without this high conflict? Yeah, no, I think that, that, that the, 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 the trap is we want, um, uh, you know, we're trying to, to move on with our lives. And so we want the things from our lives that we want <laughs> to be in the future. And we don't want the things that 
we don't want, which is often the spouse. Right. So, uh, you know, especially in, in divorce situations, there's always a question of whether, you know, whether this is a mutually decided divorce or one person wants out and the other one doesn't. And so uh, sometimes the pet is compensation for the, the, the person who's leaving for them to feel less guilty. You know, um, it's true. Keep going. Yeah. Or sometimes the pet is, um, you know, uh, I uh, will never forgive you. And so even though I know this pet is really important to you, what I really want is to, this is my way of finding. Really hurting you. Yeah. yeah you, you, you weaponize, like you weaponize children, you weaponize the dog. Yeah. You did something really bad and this is the price you have to pay for it. Get, get with it. Yes. We see all kinds of dynamics, including um, uh, I, neither of us want, want the pet. And we're going to, you know, so who, who, who are we going to give the pet away? And, and sometimes those conflicts are, you know, you, you, you know, you're treating the, the, the pet just like you treated me, you know, just kind of <laughs> throwing me away when I got old type of thing. Right. <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, so it, it's, a, it's amazing. What's amazing is how strong and deep the feelings uh, are that and this is why the courts are such a bad place to deal with this because if there's going to be any uh, coming together of the people around the conflict around the pet, it's the conversation is going to have to take place at a level that's much deeper than the, the, the kinds of uh, conversations that would happen looking to the law or how the courts would look at it. And so uh, there'll be no um, coming together in any way that's real unless there's a genuine conversation. And that's where mediation, I think, at least provides the opportunity for people to have that conversation. And there are certain questions you ask um, the people when they're having the conversation. Some of them include what's behind that, what you say, because sometimes they say such inflammatory things. And yes. you really, as the neutral, want to get behind why they said that. Tell me a little bit more about how that sentence helps people understand the other party's feelings. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, almost always uh, when we see anger or aggressiveness, we know that that's that's a that's the feeling that's kind of on top. And underneath, there's usually pain and isolation and loneliness and all the things that people go through um, when they're coming apart or whatever they're feeling they're, they're going to lose. Um, so the question of you know, why is that important to you? Or can you tell me, you seem to be, uh, when they say they're how angry they are, so you're really upset. Can you just give that a voice and tell me, you know, exactly what it is that's most upsetting to you? And, and then we follow what we call the why trail, which is, you know, and, and, and what is there about that that's so important to you? And oftentimes, you know, in some ways, even more than with the kids, uh, people feel a license to be able to blast each other around the pet um, because the pet, it's not the pet, although it is the pet too. It's not, it's the pet and it's not the pet, um, but it's always the relationship. Yeah. And so, in, in, and, and there's always the question in mediation about whether we're going to have a conversation about the relationship, what happened. Um, if it's a divorce, 
you know, what, coming to terms with what happened is a huge undertaking for people. Um, somebody told me once, and I think it's kind of true, it seems to take about half the number of years you were together to kind of figure out what happened. Um, and mostly people are left to have that conversation on their own uh, or with their friends or with people that are on one side or the other. But the opportunity in mediation is to have the conversation um, where there can be at least a little bit of the understanding of what happened. And of course, the pet can be the focus that leads into that conversation and having the, uh, the love that people feel, if both of them love the pet, um, just as with the kids, there is that commonality that we can draw upon um, because there's a way in which uh, these two people both understand uh, potentially what's happening with the other person better than anybody from the outside ever could, which is why mediation makes some, so much sense. Who would you want to put in charge of those decisions about what's going to happen other than the people that uh, created the situation and are having to live with the result? No, and it's not an easy process, mediation. People often um, ca categorize mediation as the, you know, you don't have a good case, so you're going to go to mediation and try to twist arms or something. And I find, and I've asked you on a number of our trainings, you know, I feel like I'm the one working the hardest in the room. And you say, well, then you're missing something. And I usually am. And I go back and look. But really, mediation is not the lazy way, the lazy man's way out of a conflict. Well, it, it takes courage. Um, it takes courage to have a, a conversation with someone who you disagree with. Uh, and it takes courage to have a particular kind of conversation other than just letting them have the, you know, the gift of your anger <laughs> um, to, 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 you know, it's kind of a grown up thing, realizing, uh, you know, even though the mediator is there and people often will act like they want to convince the mediator to be on their side, it doesn't do them any good. If the mediator is convinced that they should be on one side, because in fact, it has to be both people that, that are, are satisfied with the decision that's made. So um, that is a whole different mindset than the kind of the binary mindset of who's right and who's wrong, um, or who's going to win, who's going to lose. And of course, you know, all of the, the kind of uh, stupid kinds of conversations that people have about where, you know, you can't divide a pet any more than you can divide a child, you have to recognize that the pet has attachment and they and the people both have attachment um, and, uh, and, and working something out that kind of recognizes what, what's been important to people in their lives, but also looking forward represents part of the life. So, if, you know, the, the most painful situations, of course, are where there's going to be a, a move away, where one person's going to be moving far enough away so there's no back and forth with the pet. Um, but the most wonderful kinds of creative solutions can come uh, when people are in the same kind of area of feeling like, oh, there could be some kind of sharing or I'm not the only one responsible for this. Or, you know, when we have vet bills or we have um, uh, painful situations or, uh, and, and, uh, or when we're going away, we want some uh, autonomy in our lives um, and, uh, and, and that if there's a good relationship, uh, there's a kind of uh, more ease that happens. And actually, it's often the pet that will kind of grease the wheels 
for uh, the people recognizing, yes, um, this is good. We share this love for this pet. And the, and the pet seems to love us both. You know, it's so great you said that because you wrapped up three or four of the reasons why I do what I do, because, you know, unfortunately, the pet doesn't hate your ex is one of them. But in the grand scheme of things, if one party doesn't want to see the other party ever again, there are cottage industries that transfer pets from one to another. True, you have to have a calendar so that you can do it. But at the very least, I loved when you said, you know, there's a love here. And if something comes up, either a vet bill, uh, you know, when the courts give a dog for, to one person without, you know, and then ask that person to think about including the other person, which I often find so contrite because you've already given it to the other person. What is, what is in it for that person to share with the other person? You've already told them they were right in this right and wrong binary discussion. So they're not going to, unless they of course, then add to the fuel to the fire uh, that you know I, the court found me right. And you and I both know that often happens. Uh, so if a dog gets sick, you can't really call the moneyed spouse, which usually doesn't get the animal because they're out working and the other spouse is home with the dog. Uh, so how do you how do you have that conversation where they actually think about like you and Trish, what's in the best interest of Artie? So we said at the beginning that Artie loves Trish, but when Trish is gone, Artie loves you. So if Trish was going on vacation, how hard would it be for her to say, listen, I, I'd like you to take Artie instead of putting him in a kennel because he really hates kennels. Yeah, no, I think that that's that, that that's the challenge is to be able to con- First, can we have the conversation, as you said before, to come into mediation means we're going to have a hard conversation. Um, it's in some ways, going to court, it's an easy conversation because you don't have to think about how the other person looks at it um, and you don't have to understand them. All you have to do is figure out how to meet the points they make and rebut them. Um, so this is different when it's the, it's the two of you making the decision. And actually... Uh, it offers a chance to have a much more stable outcome. I mean, once you've got a court decision. You have to enforce it. You have to enforce it. And almost always there's a way to kind of get back. It's almost never the last act, particularly, you know, because it's a coercive uh, result and people don't uh, respond well to coercive results. And usually there's some way of kind of getting back. And if there is, it kind of keeps the pot boiling. Yeah. Maybe it's just a phone call of how, you know, upset you are, uh, you know, regular, or I want to talk to the dog. I'm what, you know, whatever it would be. I just want him to hear my voice. Well, you can't hear your voice because if he hears your voice, he's, <laughs> he's going to be upset with me. Cause, uh, but you know, all the things that, you know, we, we, we do, um, um, try to make dogs into people. Um, we, anthropomorphize them. They are like children. And in a lot of ways, I know Artie probably is, um, especially after the 18 months in, you know, quarantine and my dogs are, I mean, I have human um, responses to some of the things that they do, but they are dogs. And that's sort of a blessing, I think. And I don't know if you agree that they have the ability to listen and forgive um, in a big way. Really. It's amazing. Um, It's amazing. They, they, they have, um, there's just a comfort that comes and a safety and a sense of security and kind of, you know, we, we see this even, it's not just a question of divorce, people coming to the end of life and the, who do they want, you know, surrounding them. Yeah. They, 
their kids. They want what kind of energy they want surrounding them because the dogs and cats and birds and horses all bring really good energy to us. I think they really, as, as we saw during, you know, the pandemic, they brought really good energy. Roger Karras has a saying that I know you're going to really relate to. He says, um, dogs are not my whole life, but they make my life whole. Oh, (laughs) that's wonderful. Right. I mean, they really do. And so um, divorce is one of the areas in which mediation, why do pets matter? Because you have to resolve that conflict when people break up, either if they have no children or if they're, you know, on the other side of children and the dogs are now their children. They're even more attached, I think, to the dogs. As you as you said before, we got on the air. My kids are sort of a little jealous of my relationship with Artie because he's really important. Right. So it's a lot better than their kids do in front of us. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I'm, I'm sort of glad my, I don't have grandkids yet. So I'm sort of glad I still have the dogs and, and my kids are uh, far enough away that I don't really have to worry about them. Thank God. But the other piece that really works into this, why do pets matter? When um, breeders breed dogs and create contracts, attorneys create these contracts with a view toward making sure the animal is safe. But in the realm of breeder contracts, it has always been adversarial. And you and I had a short discussion before we got on the air about how it is that writing a contract and having the ability, like you said, mediation has you have those difficult discussions. But in the realm of resolution, resolutions found in mediation often are um, long-time resolutions because everyone's felt heard. Yeah. Well, and of course, uh, um, and you must have these situations. We have them in our neighborhood as well, where there's a dog who's barking or it doesn't work out for uh, uh, people who don't really think about how they're going to take care of the dog. People have to give a lot more thought now to what's going to happen to their dog when they go back to the to work because it's, yep. it's, it's going to create a hole, hole in the dog's life and they're going to, and the dog's going to let them know and and it's interesting because the animal welfare groups have already started the energy to flow on negativity so you and I both do a lot of meditation and try to keep ourselves on the positive side of energy sometimes we succeed sometimes not so much but if we worry about something happening it often does if yeah. we prepave for a more peaceful resolution, like, you know, what can we do for the people who are gonna go back to work with a really big dog who needs to walk three times a day? Maybe there's some kids in the neighborhood, maybe there's, you know, a 4-H group in the neighborhood, something that we can have a conversation about rather than fighting with your neighbor because the dog's barking because you've locked him outside. Yeah, and, and, and also, um, you know, it's also interesting how we respond to other people treating their dogs in ways that we don't approve of. Um, and it's amazing how many sparks fly. I mean, you know, it's not just pets. We, we, we had a situation in our neighborhood where there were a couple of horses that living two houses down from me that were on a slope. And, um, and they were having a lot of trouble standing, especially in the wet weather. The whole community, uh, not the whole community, many people in the community, horse lovers, were just so upset by that. Um, and this was an example, actually, it was a, it was a, 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 it would have been better to have mediation, but actually having uh, the SPCCA step in, um, the law was actually rather, rather helpful um, to, for people to realize that the kind of the safety of, of the pet, how uh, safety of the horse was really important. And so the, the government has authority to do something about that if, if they want. So, but it, 
But that would be just the beginning of the conversation. We don't, we, unless we have the full out conversation, there was never peace um, about that. And I think in, in our neighborhood, there's still bitterness about what happened to those horses and how they had to be removed to, to you know, a flat space and the people that had them feel, felt unfairly accused of not caring for their horses. You know, there's so many different ways. That's so in my wheelhouse because I work with a number of rescues who go in and tell you what you're doing wrong and this is the law and this is how you should do it. And they involve the animal care and control person, um, say tethered dogs or horses not kept in big enough spaces or something like that. And it's interesting, there's a group here that goes in and helps people, say with pit bulls tied to the skeleton of a car, not how we want to see any dog treated. However, this group goes in, offers to buy a bag of food, offers to provide a shelter for the dog. And then as they um, establish relationship, which is what mediation does, it, it allows you to really establish a different trajectory for your negative relationship and applies it in a way that allows the animals to stay safe. So they usually get the dogs out of those situations. And as a benefit, they keep the people from adopting a new dog. Yeah. You know, I was just thinking about a situation uh, between two therapists who are very close friends. They uh, were visiting. One couple was visiting the other for, uh, for dinner and the pit bull um, uh, came out um, and bit. Uh, the wife of the th- of, of the therapist, um, and uh, she was actually pretty badly injured, um, and they ended up suing. Um, but worse than that, that uh, under the law they had the power to have the government have that dog destroyed, and they had this attitude about pit bulls that there shouldn't be pit bulls, and um, and they did it. Um, and it, of course, the friendship was forever ruined. Irreparably destroyed, right. There was, there was an article in the New York Times three times about a woman whose dog, it was a basset hound, was attacked by a pit bull that was not tethered or, or gated or anything, and it came and attacked her dog. And she said, you know, the law said this. I didn't really want that, which is destroy the dog. Yeah. Uh, but there was no way around it. And and I raised my hand and I wrote to them and, and the animal care and control and, and uh, the parties uh, were not able to find a way to allow that conversation because the law said this. Yes. And I get it that the law says that. However, if someone is really ready, willing, and able, and it is dangerous, we both are attorneys, so we know it's dangerous to have a dog that's bitten somebody to be out there without certain precautions. But if someone's willing to have a conversation, and this is all about what mediation is about, acknowledge what you you need to do, acknowledge what happened in the past, acknowledge how you see the future, what you're willing to do, you know, appreciate and allow for checks and balances so that we know you're doing it so that the dog stays safe and you stay safe. Why not? But it's not, as I said, it's not the the way in which animal laws are done or um, written or applied. And so um, I'm working with the help of everyone at the CUC who keeps me going uh, to change that a little, to have a conversation, because a lot of these people, like the people with the horse on the mountain, maybe didn't even know the horses were suffering living on a slope. Right. I can tell you that one of my horse people here in New York loved to have grounds that sloped because it made the horses use their butt muscles. 
So their butts didn't get, you know, flabby uh, like mine uh, due to COVID. Uh, But, you know, if you're living on a slope all the time, it's going to be really hard to stay there. But you have to have that conversation. And they didn't facilitate that conversation with a mediator. And, 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 and with the, the people, the therapists who were best friends for decades, their relationship ending, there was no opportunity for the expression of remorse, the asking for forgiveness, um, the giving of forgiveness, which would have been you know, healing. Uh, because for both sides, this just left a hole in their hearts in terms of their relationship and, and, and what had happened. So it was a nightmare that doesn't ever go away. Yeah. Um, by some outside force making the decision and not having the conversation that could have made a difference. And with animals, it's so important. I love a, a sentence you've coined, which I think says it perfectly, because I always believe you create your own reality. You just have to own up to it. But you always say conflict creates its own reality. Yes. No, that's it. I mean, it, it's amazing how primal <laughs> um, the feelings are that when we're in conflict and how they surprise us and they, they, they take us over um, as if they, um, uh, we, we, the, it's, we are the conflict and, uh, and we don't really even, we become so untethered that we don't even realize what's going on other than, uh, and, and if we're lucky and we realize conflict has taken over, we have a choice to, to uh, relate to it. The problem with the legal system is it never gives you that opportunity to actually recognize conflict is taken over. And maybe that's not such a great thing. Maybe there's a, a world beyond conflict that we could get to if we went through it rather than just had somebody pronounce one person, you're right, the other person, you're wrong. Yeah, it perpetuates the conflict instead of really addressing what's going on and finding um, I always say prepave the path to finding something that will help you move forward. I actually have two clients, sort of like your psychologists, who've been longtime breeders, who had a disagreement over a contract. Um, they just had a litter of puppies and they still co-own the dogs. And I said to the party who called me to try to help mediate, but the other party had called the litigation attorney. So you know how far that went. Um, and so we resolved the, the issues at hand. But then I said to the party who violated the contract, which they did, and I said to them, you, you know, you violated the contract. Uh, I said, would you like to find a way to have a conversation about what happened and what w- going forward in peace would look like with this person, if this person is willing? And I'm awaiting, I'll keep you posted, uh, yeah. Gary, I'm awaiting whether or not they want to struggle with that. Because as you said, with the psychologists, you know, they don't have a friendship anymore. And I think that's the thing that breaks our hearts so much when we see people who have longtime relationships, who have a disagreement um, and go to litigation, and then they don't speak to each other ever again. And they were really great friends. And there's, and, and there's a hole in their heart yep. that will always be there until and unless they can find some way to address it. And addressing it by yourself, even with a trusted friend or a therapist, ain't the same thing as actually being able to be face-to-face with a trusted neutral who could help make uh, create a safety so that a conversation could take place that could be really constructive. 
Yeah, and constructive is the buzzword. So before we go, because I want to make sure everyone understands that Gary is the quintessential person um, who not only recognizes the foibles of mediators in the new book, High Conflict, but is also starting a new podcast called The Third Chair. And Gary, you want to tell us a little bit about what you're hopeful for, for The Third Chair? Because I think it's going to be a phenomenal podcast. Well, um, you would have a much better sense of that than me. Um, I'm just happy to be part of it. And, and what it does give uh, me an opportunity, which I've never done before, to really go into the history of how all this started with Jack Himmelstein and I and, and the, the seeds of, of, of the work that we did, which uh, this will give some kind of you know, permanent record that will make, maybe be valuable to people in the future, hopefully. Well, it's going to be incredibly valuable because the third chair refers to the mediator. So it's me against you, Gary. But then we have, say, Catherine Miller in the room to help us have that difficult conversation. So as mediators, we always refer to ourselves as the third chair, the person who's there to help you have this helpful conversation. And so Gary's going to be interviewed. He's going to be interviewing people and then members of the uh, Center for Understanding uh, teachers and administration and board of directors are going to come on and help people understand why this method of conflict resolution can often be the best first step. There's always a place for litigation. And I'm sure Gary will agree with me. There's always a time when sometimes you have to litigate. However, we both are students of let's try this first. Right. Right. Well, you know, uh, it's, it's interesting because I think a lot of times people think the legal system is bad. And I think it's a big mistake and it's an adversarial mistake to paint the legal system as bad. The legal system is right and helpful and actually supports mediation because when you have a choice about whether to mediate or litigate, you choose mediation, you're doing it with some intention to try to find some kind of solution. So uh, I, I feel like it's a big problem in the field that to not paint litigation as bad well, I just want to thank you so much, Gary, for being on Why Do Pets Matter? And Gary, remember, is the co-founder of the Center for Understanding. He's an incredibly published, wonderful author. Don't leave one of his books out. And his recent triumph is the New York Times bestselling book where he is showcased High Conflict by Amanda Ripley. So until next time, remember, pets matter. Give them all a hug for me. This is Deborah Hamilton. Take care now. The Why Do Pets Matter podcast drops every Thursday and can be found on whichever platform you find your podcast. Subscribe now, invite your friends, and I cannot wait to have you join me in these conversations.